Hello, my friends. You're listening to Repent and Believe podcast with Cynthia Smalls of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here we talk and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fast and God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. And this is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How's everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You beloved are to never give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, listen. This very well may be a two-hour podcast. Beloved, we got so much scripture we need to get through today. But you know what? Let me set the record straight. No, not me. Let the Bible set the record straight. 2 Timothy 1 9, for he delivered us and saved us and called us with a holy calling, a calling that leads to a consecrated life, a life set apart, a life of purpose, not because of our works or because of any personal merit. We could do nothing to earn this, but because of his own purpose and grace, his amazing undeserved favor, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus before the world began, eternal ages ago. Amen. Just so we can get the record straight. All right, beloved. What we talking about today? Well, We talking about what does it look like when you are on your way straight to hell. If you and I keep doing this one thing, we will all end up in a burning hell. So what is this thing? If we keep on doing, we will not inherit God's kingdom, but be thrown in the lake of fire. 
where the smoke of your torment will rise day and night and there will be no relief for you. The Bible says, because beloved, your apostate bishop and his seductress of a first lady ain't gonna tell you what the Bible says that will keep a person out of heaven. And the reason why they won't tell you is because they are doing it too. Doing what, you may ask? Doing the same thing you are doing that will send you straight to a burning hell, which is what? Sowing to your flesh. That's the thing that will keep you and I out of heaven. Sowing to your nasty, stinking, rotten flesh. Who is in rebellion to holy God? Who cares absolutely nothing about eternity? Only the here and the now and what pleases it. The lust of the flesh is one of the three things Satan tempts us with. John the Apostle of Christ commands us, do not love the world of sin that opposes God and his precepts, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust and sensual craving of the flesh and the lust and longing of the eyes and the boastful pride of life which is what pretentious confidence and one's resources or in the stability of earthly things, these, beloved, do not come from the Father, but are from the world. The world, verse 17, is passing away, and with it, its lust, the shameful pursuits and ungodly longings. But the one... But the one who does the will of God and carries out his purposes lives forever. Amen. First John 2, 15 to 17. John just finished commanding us to not love the world of sin that opposes God and his teachings. So we see what the thing is that will send all of us straight. Not only to a burning hell, but to be thrown 
in the lake of fire. Beloved, we keep on lusting after this world and ungodly things that goes in direct opposition of his holiness and righteous teachings. We ain't going to make it. No, we not. So, listen to what the Apostle Paul says about what happens when we sow to the flesh. Because, beloved, we keep doing that. Paul is about to tell us what we will reap. And I can assure you, spoiler alert, it won't be the kingdom. Galatians 6, 7 to 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He will not allow him, himself to be ridiculed, nor treated with contempt, nor allow his precepts to be scornfully set aside. For whatever a man sows, this and this only is what he will reap. For the one who sows to his flesh, his sinful capacity, his worldliness, his disgraceful impulses will reap from the flesh, ruin and destruction. See? See, beloved? It's really not that complicated. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Amen. Again, it's not complicated. Our God is not the author of confusion. He has made this verse in particular so clear. So clear, even a blind man can see this. If we continue to sow to the flesh, from the flesh, we shall reap ruin and destruction. And we know what that means, right? Because we, oh boy, we are going to, I didn't even count them. We are going to read out of the New Testament from Matthew straight to Revelation about the warnings and what a person who continues to sow to the flesh, what their characteristics are so that we can avoid living in such a way and practicing these things, we will see from Holy God that if we keep practicing them, the kingdom of God is not in our future. No, it's not. So, brethren, listen. Just about every last single book in the New Testament outside of Philemon, okay? 
But don't discount this little book because it is filled with wisdom about forgiveness. The rest of the books in the New Testament, because the Holy Spirit had me go through it today. Listen, you know what? I love studying for myself and for the podcast. I'm telling you, it is it is truly a blessing to be able to see through the word of God that come to find out living holy is a requirement. It it is not optional. It's so not optional. And if we think Jesus is playing because he's coming back in fiery judgment for those who thought he was playing. Okay, well, listen. Okay. Just about every last single book in the New Testament outside of Philemon gives us the clear consequence of what happens if we do not repent. If we do not turn from our wicked, evil ways, the Lord God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, precisely shows us in his word that we will all perish. He also shows us the disposition, lifestyles, and behaviors of those who are on the fast track straight to that lake of fire. Don't believe me? Here we go. But you know what? (laughs) Let me first say this, okay? Because these Bible verses I'm about to show you all paints a vivid and sobering picture of hell as a place of torment, darkness, separation, destruction, and eternal punishment. Listen, it is described as a destination reserved for the devil and his angels, but also warns of the possibility of human souls being condemned there because they refused to stop sowing to the flesh. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should strive to avoid this terrible fate by seeking God's grace and mercy, living a life that is pleasing to him and sharing the gospel message with others. Amen. That's right. So here we go. Matthew. Matthew 5, 27 to 32. Now, beloved, listen. I already gave you all a heads up. With the amount of scriptures we will be going through, this this very well may be a two-hour podcast, if not more. So be prepared for some long listening. You may have to stop and pause and come back 
because by the grace of God and by the empowerment of Holy Spirit, I am going to give us every last single scripture in these notes. You want to know why? Because many a time I don't even get to half of the scriptures I be wanting to give to us on the podcast, but because I do respect your time. I can't always do what I want. I want to give us a five-hour podcast. Why not? But I get it. I get it. Not everybody got five hours to listen to me. So anywho, here we go. Matthew 5, 27 to 32 Christ Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who so much as looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble and leads you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That is, remove yourself from the source of temptation. Amen. See, I told y'all yesterday about Sheila, right? Stop going past her job because you know you and her had a fling at one time. So now you too came up with the bright idea that we are only going to be friends. But then you walk away with lust in your heart. Well, Jesus says you are committing adultery. He's saying remove yourself from the source of temptation for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Amen. Beloved, Lord Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about here. He just trying to stop me from having fun. No, he's trying to stop you from tormenting in the lake that blazes with fire and burning sulfur. So, verse 30, Matthew 5, If your right hand makes you stumble and leads you to sin, cut it off and throw it, and throw it away. That is, remove yourself from the source of temptation, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to to go into hell. It has also been said, whoever divorces his wife, uh-oh, uh-oh, here we go, all of you adulterers up in these remarriages when you have a living spouse, well, here we go. It has also been said, whoever divorces his wife is to give her a certificate of divorce. But I say, 
See, Lord Jesus is superseding the law of Moses because I know many love to run to the law of Moses about the teaching on divorce. But guess what? Christ says, but I say. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except except on grounds of sexual immorality and no beloved that's not adultery so so calm down that's fornication except on grounds of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery and whoever marries a woman who has been divorced commits adultery amen so again beloved we are looking at scriptures about sin and about making provision for the flesh we are looking at lust because yes holy spirit at the heart of sin is lust three temptations satan used in the garden of eden he he tried it with jesus but mm -mm, didn't work but he's still trying it today why stop is working the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye and the pride of life Beloved, if we keep sowing to the flesh, nothing good is going to come about. Corruption, destruction. Ain't nothing good about it, beloved. What else we got here? Matthew 7. Uh-oh. Okay, here we go. Matthew 7. Verses 13 to 27, listen, the Lord Jesus Christ instructs his disciples, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction. See? Destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads the way to everlasting life. And there are few who find it. You want to know why? Only a few find the path that is straight and narrow. Because a whole lot of people loves pleasing, love pleasing their flesh. That's why. That's why, beloved. So we can come up with a whole barrel of excuses about why you must continue sowing to the flesh. Christ Jesus will not be... He... Hmm. 
He will not be pandering to any excuse on the day of judgment. That's why all of us must look over our lives. Are we sowing to the flesh? And if you don't know if you are, keep listening. Keep listening. The Holy Spirit is going to give us a whole bunch of lifestyles so that we can look at to see if, in fact, we are doing these things. Again, there will be absolutely no excuse about how you didn't know such and such was a sin. We, we're going to find, find that out today. So verse 15, where we at? Matthew 7. Beware of the false prophets, teachers who come to you dressed as sheep, appearing gentle and innocent, but inwardly, inwardly are ravenous wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Mm-hmm. Are you a wolf in sheep's clothing? My brother, my sister, are you? Are you fleecing, raping, and robbing God's children with the false doctrine of tithing and sowing, and sowing money seed? Are you doing that? Or are you just open for free will love offerings? Yeah, see... We also going to we also are going to be looking at church leadership. What to do and what not to do. So, mhm. By their fruit you will recognize them. That is by their contrived doctrine. All of that man-made made of fabricated doctrine. Hmm, what comes to my mind? Oh, prosperity, once saved, always saved, eternal security. Yeah, just to name a few. Uh, says here, that is by their contrived doctrine and self-focus. There's a whole lot of that going on today. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the unhealthy tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Listen, verse 19, because every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit, you will recognize them as false prophets. Amen. Uh huh. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day when I judge them, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and driven out demons 
in your name and done many miracles in your name. And then I will declare to them publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me. You are banished from my presence. You who act wickedly, disregarding my commands. Amen. Beloved, that's a worker of iniquity. You disregard Jesus' commands. And, and to them, he will say, depart from me. Depart, depart from me. See why, beloved, we must go through these scriptures so that we are not led astray nor to be deceived about what will actually keep us out of the kingdom. Now, you can sit up under these these ravenous wolves if you want to with all of their contrived doctrine and self-focus if you want to talking about all you have to do is believe you don't have to repent Romans 8 1 therefore we are no longer condemned those who are in Christ but guess what there's a a great big old comma right there about to whom condemnation will not be upon those who walk not after the flesh, those who are not sowing to the flesh, yes, there, therefore, there is no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, comma, who walk not after the flesh. Amen. So, Verse 24, Matthew 7. So everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man, a far-sighted, practical, and sensible man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods and torrents came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. Amen. And everyone, listen, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish, stupid man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods and torrents came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great and complete was its fall. Amen. Oh, beloved, listen, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We have yet to even begun to scratch the surface. Again, again, we will be without excuse. If we hear Jesus' commands and yet disregard them, 
treated with contempt, trampling underfoot, underfoot the blood covenant that bought us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Let us keep reading because I'm telling you, torture, pain, torment, eternal destruction is in the future for anyone who disregards Jesus' commands. Be wise, beloved. Be wise. That's why, yes, yes, Holy Spirit. Because you see, John 10, 27, 28, 29, and 30. Those who keep claiming all we have to do is believe, say a sinner's prayer, and we are good to go. Why? Because no one can snatch our salvation away. And then they want to proof text John 10, 27, and 28. But beloved, the Christ was not giving us a doctrine about eternal security that your salvation is secured, nothing, no one, no how, that you can lose it. But guess what? People give up their their sure election they give it up by doing what sowing to the flesh christ jesus was not giving us a doctrine about eternal security he was talking about false teachers that how his sheep on the other hand listens to him follow him we heed to his commands we are the wise one who builds our house on the rock, not on sand, not off the commands and traditions of ravenous wolves. We don't. He was saying none of them can snatch his true sheep out of his hand. Why? We don't recognize strange voices. We, in fact, run away from them. We listen to our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why none of these false teachers can snatch us out of his hand. He said, no man. Nothing in there about a doctrine. Nothing in there about how we can just abuse grace. He wasn't even talking about grace there. He was saying to whom he will give eternal life to. He was saying he's going to give it to his true sheep. So so can't you see how they twist that into some foolishness that we can live however we want in direct opposition to the scriptures? Holy Spirit is given us today, we can live just like this and still, still inherit God's kingdom. Well, beloved, I'm here to tell you that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. 
You keep living clean and holy, obeying Christ Jesus and sowing to the spirit. He says you will reap eternal life. So if it was a once saved, always saved, why even talk about if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap eternal destruction. And people in the body of Christ, sad to say, are sowing to the flesh every single day. So again, don't tell me about some once saved, always saved, and then I'm thinking I'm good to go. I can run off and find me husband number four while husband number one is still alive. And Jesus just finished telling us in Matthew 5, 32, that if anyone marries a divorced woman, commits adultery, and that how... If we divorce and we have a living spouse and we remarry, we commit adultery. So you mean to tell me I'm supposed to put away Jesus' teachings? I'm supposed to now build my house on sand and trust you, Bishop? Because I'm looking at your fruit. I'm supposed to take your word over the Messiah you you got us twisted. Oh, absolutely not. So, what else we got here? Matthew 8, 11 to 12. I say to you that many Gentiles will come from east and west and will sit down to feast at the table and enjoy God's promises with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven because they accepted me as Savior, while the sons and heirs of the kingdom, the descendants of Abraham, who will not recognize me as Messiah, will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place, which is farthest removed from the kingdom, there will be weeping and sorrow and pain and grinding of teeth in distress and anger. Amen. We keep sowing to the flesh. This place, this place has a reservation, a reservation. Okay, I'm going to try it for the third time. A reservation for any one of us who likes pornography, masturbation, fornication, homosexuality, the list goes on and on. A place in hell has been reserved for those who wants to build their house on sand. Jesus says, great will be the fall. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Because... In Matthew 10, 28, right? 
the Lord Jesus warned about the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, highlighting the eternal nature of the punishment. Beloved, the Lord is not playing with us. He's not. Matthew 13, 47 to 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet, which was lowered into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, they dragged it up on the beach and they sat down and sorted out the good fish into baskets. But the worthless ones, they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw and throw the wicked into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping over sorrow and pain and grinding of teeth over distress and anger. Amen. Glory be to the Lamb of God. Beloved, did you hear that? There will be a great separation. The righteous and the wicked will be separated and each will receive a reward. Yeah. So, we can belittle this this whole judgment event we can fall for the lie that god will in his mercy allow everyone just to come on into heaven anyway that somehow he will use he will use in hell as a scare tactic so that we can bow down and honor and serve him. Somewhere out there, there's a religion that actually teaches that. Oh, beloved, please do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. That's why we are going through Matthew Matthew to Revelation to see what God has said about people, in particular, wicked people and their lifestyles and what it will lead them to. And the good news is that it is peppered around the righteous. And what their eternal eternal future looks like. Yeah. So, what else we got here? Mark. Let's move on to Mark. Mark 1, 14 to 15. Jesus preaches in Galilee. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested and taken into custody, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and saying, 
the appointed period of time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Hallelujah. God himself in the person of Jesus touched down on the earth. He showed up. He's saying, I'm here. And the first teaching, he said after that, repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance. He's telling us live a life like you actually change your mind about sin. Sin is no longer the big time fun. Sin will send me straight to a burning hell. God hates sin. Live like you believe that. So, and what it says here, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance, seek God's purpose for your life, and believe with a deep abiding trust in the good news regarding salvation. Amen. Christ Jesus says, repent and believe. You want to know why? The kingdom of God is at hand. Amen. That's the first message Jesus preached when he began his earthly ministry. No wonder the devil wants to get repentance out of the way. I bet he does. Listen, Mark 9, 42 to 48. Listen, okay? Because again, we're looking at these scriptures showing us the consequence about sowing to the flesh, living ungodly, living unholy. And... We are looking at some sins that has been clearly identified. That if we keep it up, if we keep going right along as if none of this is being recorded in heaven, we're going to be in a world of pain, in for a rude awakening. Listen, Mark 9, 42 to 48. Jesus was saying, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe and trust in me to stumble, that is to sin or lose faith, it will be better for him if a heavy millstone, one requiring a donkey strength to turn it, were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. <clears throat> Mm. he's and I say this with all due respect he is low key telling us it will be better if a millstone be draped around your neck and you thrown into the sea if, if you cause one of his followers to stumble or, or to lose faith this right here is letting us know there are several 
several degrees of punishment in hell. So, verse 43, Mark 9, If your hand causes you to stumble and sin, cut it off. That is, remove yourself from the source of temptation. It is better for you to enter life, enter life crippled than to have two hands and go into hell into the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not put out. If your foot causes you to stumble in sin, cut it off. Remove yourself from the source of temptation. It would be better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not put out. If your eye causes you to stumble and sin, throw it out. Again, remove yourself from the source of temptation. Listen, it will be better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm that feeds on the dead does not die and the fire is not put out. Amen. Beloved, the Lord was not keeping us from hell. He's not, he was not keeping us from what all will be going down in this place. He has made it known and clear to us that if anything you are doing causes you to sin, remove yourself. Stop it immediately. Stop it. He gave us a dramatic, a dramatic example. Pluck your eye out, cut your foot off, cut off your hand. Now, did he mean that literally? No. But he was giving us this wonderful, believe it or not, wonderful analogy about the limbs one should take to make sure they are not sowing to the flesh. What else we got here? Luke. Let's move on to Luke. I told you we're going from Matthew straight to Revelation. So hang on. Luke 13, 5. Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, Change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways, and live changed lives. You will all likewise perish. Amen. Then he began telling them this parable. A certain man had a fig tree that had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, but did not find any. Verse 7. So he said to the vineyard keeper, For three years 
I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and have found none. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground, depleting the soil and blocking the sunlight? But he replied to him, let it alone, sir, just one more year until I dig around it and put fertilizer in it. And if it bears fruit after this, fine. But if not, cut it down. Glory be to God. Beloved, if we do not allow Holy Spirit to cultivate us, to to dig around in our soul and put in fertilizer, and if we still don't bear fruit after this, this parable is for us. We will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Sanctification is a wonderful process. This is where we get fertilizer. This is where we get sunlight. S-O-N capital L-I-G-T. This is where we, we get to know Christ Jesus as Lord as well as Savior. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, this process, this period, this cultivating, this consecrating, this sanctifying is what is needed to get the world out, out of us so that we won't be lusting after what's in the world. It is a wonderful process. Yes, it is painful. It is it is challenging and demanding, but it is so wonderful. Holy Spirit is getting us ready to meet the King of Glory. And we do it by obedience to Christ. Verse 22. Luke 13, Jesus journeyed on through cities and villages, teaching and making his way toward Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved from the penalties of the last judgment? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, force aside unbelief and the attractions of sin for many see beloved the lord jesus christ is giving us what to do about attractions of sin we are to strive to enter through the narrow door we must Put away all those things that will trip us up. And guess what? We have been empowered to do so by his spirit. So we are not without help. He sent another comforter, the helper, the spirit of truth, the spirit of grace is living on the inside of us, teaching us 
two, reject all ungodliness and worldly immoral desires. Yes, grace teaches us how to do this. So, the Lord says, For many, I tell you, will try to enter by their own works and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and closes the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door again and again saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you are from, for you are not of my household. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evil, evil doers. Amen. Verse 28, where we at? We still at we still at Luke 13. Yes, we are. Verse 28. In that place there will be weeping. What is it? Weeping and sorrow and pain and grinding of teeth and distress and anger. When you see Abraham, see he's telling us again over here. And when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out and driven away, and people will come from east and west and from north and south, and they will sit down and feast at the table in the kingdom of God. Amen. Behold, some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. Amen. Luke 16, 19 to 31. Now, I'm not going to read all of that, but the Lord Jesus Christ is giving us this, this actual account of a person who was literally in hell, but because it was too late for him, he tried to have someone from Abraham's bosom to warn his brothers not to come to this place. You got people in hell trying to convince Father Abraham to send someone from there back to the earth to warn his brothers to repent. And Abraham says, no, they have the law of Moses. He was down paraphrasing. He was saying, if they're not going to believe, nope, let's, let's go to it because that, that last statement is something. Listen, verse 31 of Luke 16. And he said to him, okay, if they do not listen to the messages of Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Amen. Because up in verse 28, he was saying, Oh, right. 
He was asking Abraham to send Lazarus, to send Lazarus to his father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may solemnly warn them and witness to them. This man who, this rich man who lifted up his eyes in torment, wanted Lazarus, who was a beggar when he was alive. Lazarus was at the gates, at the gate of this rich man, begging, begging. But he was a righteous man. Obviously, he wasn't so into his flesh like the rich man whom the Bible says ate sumptuously every day. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because you know this rich man, he had feast after feast, and wherever he lived, it was large enough to have a gate. He could have been living in the castle. He was rich. The Bible makes it a point to say he was rich. So he died and Lazarus died both on the same day. And Lazarus was carried to Abraham's bosom. But the rich man lifted his eyes in torment. And as the story went on, he was trying to send Lazarus on many a trip to go dip his fingers on water because he was tormenting in these flames. And Abraham was saying, no, we can't get to you and you can't come over here. There is a huge chasm in between. We can't come to you and you can't come to us. And so, obviously, yes, Holy Spirit, sadly, this rich man realized his faith. It was sealed. And so, in one last ditch effort, he wanted Lazarus to go on some evangelist mission to his brothers to warn them to not come here. And Abraham was like, no, Lazarus ain't going anywhere. If they, if they are not heeding to the prophets and the writings of Moses, they ain't going to listen to someone coming back from the dead. No. The answer is no. Okay. Here we go, John 3. Because in John 3, 3, Jesus was answering Nicodemus. He said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless a person is born again, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, sanctified, he cannot ever see and experience the kingdom of God. Amen. Jesus is saying, unless... You are born again, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified. You can't ever see and experience 
the kingdom of God. That is so tragic. Because everyone loves John 3.16. John 3.16 gives hope. But we must read verse 18. Don't stop at the John 3.16. Whoever believes and has decided to trust in him as personal Savior and Lord is not judged. For this one, there is no judgment, no rejection, no condemnation. Semicolon. Semicolon. Because, beloved, we can rest assured, rest assured, that Jesus was not saying to have mental assent about him, but to actually obey him. I know many of eternal security proponents come here too. But they don't go past the semicolon in verse 18. But the one who does not believe and has decided to reject as personal Savior and Lord is judged already. That one has been convicted and sentenced. Why? Why has they been convicted and sentenced? Well, because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the one and only begotten Son of God. The one who is truly unique. Oh, Lord, help me. The one who is truly unique. The only one of his kind. The one who who alone can save him. This, verse 19, listen, keep reading past John 3, 16, verse 19. This is the judgment. That is the cause for indictment, the test by which people are judged. The basis for the sentence is this, beloved, the light, capital L, has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Every wrongdoer hates the light. Beloved, the Bible is telling us that people love to sow to their flesh more than receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they rather have their sins more. The Bible is telling us sinners hates Jesus Christ and does not come to the light, but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful, worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. Amen. Mm-hmm. If we come down to verse 36, beloved, we must take this medicine. We must get these scriptures into our, our spirits so that when you hear the high-sounding nonsense, 
that you can still live in your sins, in your unbelief, in your homosexuality, in your adultery, just because you said a sinner's prayer and you believe and you confess with your mouths, Jesus is Lord, you have eternal security. You don't have to worry about hell. You don't have to think about the uh, lake of fire. You are secured, safe, sealed, and delivered. But that's a lie, beloved, because many who agree with one saved, always saved, they are living in sin. They are living the high life. They think they have a bona fide, certified relationship with God and the Son, but they do not. John tells us, if we say we know God, but we don't obey his commands. We are a bunch of liars. That's what he said. We lie and the truth of the divine word is not in us. And that's obvious. My hand is raised. That's obvious. What else? First, verse 36, John 3 told you don't stop at John 3 16 and get to shouting although yes shouting is good but we got to keep on reading so that again that's what I was saying when they come with the pseudo intellectual babble about eternal security you can point them to all of these scriptures about lifestyles that if we as so as we as spirit-filled children of God because don't don't let them get you with the 52 fake out about oh he was talking to sinners oh he was talking about false converts no no and a big fat no ma'am he was talking about followers of Jesus who have received the knowledge of the truth. He's talking about us. That if we think for two seconds, we can go back into the world, we could turn our backs on Jesus and still inherit the kingdom of God, we have been duped and deceived. Verse 36, John 3. He who believes and trusts in the Son and accepts Him as Savior has eternal life. That is, already possesses it. But he who does not believe the Son and chooses to reject Him, disobeying Him, disobedience, beloved, will, in fact, put you on the fast track straight to that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yes, it will. But he who does not believe the Son and chooses to reject him, disobeying him and denying him as Savior, will not see eternal life. 
Mm-mm-mm. How we were led astray. What about eternal security? What about all of this hyper grace? So are we to just throw John 3.36 out the window? Huh? Disobeying him and denying him as Savior will not see eternal life. But instead, the wrath of God hangs over him continually. So, I ain't falling for it. Nope. Mm Mm-mm. Nope. I'm good. I'm going to stick with Jesus on this. Because these are his words. We who love him build our home. We, these spirits, these born again, transformed, renewed spirits, this temple, we are going to build this on the rock. Solid foundation. Because Y'all over there sounding shaky. Shaky. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not entrusting my eternal soul to anyone whose doctrine is I'm good to go, irregardless of the fact I'm still a fornicating, lying Jezebel. That I can still go to heaven anyway. Nah, no, that's too risky for me. And I am not a betting woman. So that's, mm mm-mm, no. We talking about eternity here. Weeping and gnashing for all of eternity where the worm does not die. I ain't playing with it. John 5, 25 to 30. The Lord Jesus, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, a time is coming and is here now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. For just as the Father has life in himself and is self-existent, even so he has given to the Son to have life in himself and be self-existent. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man sinless humanity qualifying him to sit in judgment over mankind do not be surprised at this for a time is coming when all those who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out those who did good things will come will come out to a resurrection of new life, but those 
who did evil things will come out to a resurrection of judgment. That is to be sentenced. Amen. Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ just gave us a snapshot about what's going to take place on judgment. This same snapshot was given to John over here in Revelation 20, where he says, because this is about the resurrection of the dead, where it says here, mm-hmm, and I saw the dead and the sea and every man. Okay, starting in verse 12, right? And I saw the dead, <clears throat> small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell, verse 14, Revelation 20, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found, verse 15, written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Amen. That's the final sentencing, beloved, that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, but those over here, where we at? John 5. John 5, verse 29, and they will come out. Those who did good things will come out to a resurrection of new life, but those who did evil things will come out to a resurrection of judgment. What judgment? The great white throne judgment to be sentenced. Oh, beloved. What else we got here? Acts. Acts 2, 36 to 41. Beloved, I know is a bunch of scriptures. But if we don't take the time out today, tonight, this morning, this afternoon, whenever you are tuning in to get this wonderful medicine, we will be tricked out of our salvation through self-delusion and deception. Satan doesn't want you to inherit the kingdom of God. Because Revelation 20 verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it 
from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. <sighs> Satan wants you and I to be thrown in this lake of fire, along with him, his antichrist, and the false prophet. Mm-mm. Nope. Eternity is too long for this. No. Uh-uh. No, beloved. The mindset must be sold to the spirit. Because from the spirit, we shall reap eternal life. What are you sowing to? Beloved, where's my bell? Wake up. Wake up. Many of you are asleep at the wheel. You got your eyes still on the earth. When it should be on eternity, it should be on immortality. Life everlasting. This is... This is what we should be focused on. Our eyes should never leave Jesus Christ. Never, never, for no reason at all. Away with all of this backsliding. Away with all of this, you know, Christ is still working on me. Well, is he really? Is he really? So at what at what point are you going to come around? No, beloved. Stop it. Stop it. Away with it. Live clean. Live holy. Love the brother and stop sinning. Repent. Change your way of thinking and go in the opposite direction. Run to God. So, Acts. Acts 2, 36 to 41. Therefore, let all the house of Israel recognize beyond all doubt that God has made him both Lord and Christ, Messiah anointed, this Jesus whom you crucified. Yeah, Paul was given, I mean, not Paul, Peter was given them the business about what all had happened. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart with remorse and anxiety. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we to do? And Peter said to them, repent, change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways, accept and follow Jesus. Accept and follow Jesus Christ as the Messiah and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins. Amen. I made a note. What is this? Where are we at? That's Acts 2. Acts 3. Let me get this off the wall here because I, I must... 
remind us of Acts 3.19. With all of this hyper grace and all you got to do is believe, but no one wants to touch repentance with a 10-foot pole because salvation and forgiveness of sins comes through repentance because Acts 3.19 tells us to repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Amen. Peter is telling us that for our sins to be forgiven, blotted out, we must repent. We must repent. Jesus sent his disciples out on the Great Commission and he's given us the same commission to preach in his name repentance, which is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. Without repentance, beloved, without changing of your mind and go to God, there will be no salvation. Nope. There will be no free gift of salvation. If you, if you don't have a different way of thinking, how can you receive the free gift that we didn't earn, that we didn't work for? Nothing we could have done. So, so there's no, no boasting on our part whatsoever. If there's no first changing of the mind, that's what repentance is. It's about changing your mind and go in the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. But the false church made it to be this legalistic thing that one must do in order to be saved. No, 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 in order, in order to earn their justification. Okay. Nope. I'm not going there with you today. Back over here. Where are we? Acts 2, right? Down in verse 30, 38. And Peter said to them, repent, change your old way of thinking, Turn from your sinful ways, accept and follow Jesus as the Messiah, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And if we come down to verse 40, and Peter solemnly testified and continued to admonish and urge them with many more words, saying, Be saved from this crooked and unjust generation. So then those who accepted his message were baptized. See, repentance comes first, then you are baptized. And on that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Yes. So, oh, 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 we can't touch on the book of Acts 
without speaking on the conversion of Saul, who later is known as Paul. Over in chapter 9, verses 1 to 21, let's read about his radical and dramatic conversion. Because, beloved, again, we are going through these scriptures for a purpose. It is to show us just how clear and precise our God is about the wages of sin. And he means what he says. The wicked will not go unpunished. We keep listening to this flesh. We keep making provision for the flesh. We keep walking after the flesh and not after the spirit. We're going to perish. Just so we all know from the word of God, there is no more sacrifice for sins. If we are not abiding and obeying Jesus Christ, no one, and the spirit means no one is coming to save us from the wrath of God. Make no mistake. Acts 9. Let's see how the Lord Jesus Christ got Paul's act together. Here we go. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord and relentless, relentless in his search for believers, went to the high priest and he asked for letters of authority from him from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any men or women there belonging to the way, believers, followers of Jesus the Messiah, men and women alike, he could arrest them and bring them bound with change with, with chains to Jerusalem. As he traveled, he approached Damascus, and suddenly, and suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him, displaying the glory and majesty of Christ. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice from heaven saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting and oppressing me? And Saul and Saul and Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him were terrified and stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, but though his eyes were open, he could not see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was unable to see for three days. And he and he neither ate nor drank. Amen. Beloved, I'm telling you, 
when you meet the real Jesus Christ, he will get your act together. Oh, yes. So now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying there, and in a vision he he has seen a man named Ananias come in place. Come in and... Verse 12. Yeah, I need to have... I need to get me some water. But listen. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come in and place his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many people about this man, especially how much suffering and evil he has brought on your saints, God's people at Jerusalem. And here in Damascus, he has authority from the high priest to put in chains all who call on your name, confessing you as Savior. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is a deliberately chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will make clear to him how much he must suffer and endure for my name's sake. So Ananias left and entered the house, and he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, mm, look at the instant conversion when, well, Paul, but Saul then, when he encountered the Lord, instant conversion. So Ananias is like, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came to Damascus, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim Christ to both Jews and Gentiles. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Hallelujah. And he took some food and was strengthened. Amen. And so look, right? <laughs> For several days afterward, Saul remained with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began proclaiming Jesus. Just some days ago. He was breathing out threats, hunting, got his papers in hand that if he found anyone in the way, he was going to drag them back in chains to Jerusalem. For what? 
could be crucifixion, flogging. It wasn't going to be pretty, but now here he is. Glory to God. Proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, saying, This man is the Son of God, the promised Messiah. Look, verse 21. All those who heard him continued to be amazed and said, Is this not the man who in Jerusalem attacked those who called on this name of Jesus and and had come here to Damascus for the express purpose of bringing them bound with chains before the chief priests? Yeah, that's the same Paul. (laughs) Yes, that's the same Saul. Mm Mm-hmm. I know, shocking, right? I told you, the Lord Jesus Christ will get your life together. Amen. Because, beloved, so listen, getting back over here. God has set a day. Oh, yes, he has. Oh, beloved, we must talk about this day. Acts 17, 30 to 31. Therefore, God overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance. But now, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That is to change. Excuse me. Excuse me. I just had a a ton of water. That is. to change their old way of thinking, to regret their past sins, and to seek God's purpose for their lives. Say with me, why? Because he has set a day when he will judge the inhabited world in righteousness by a man, whom he has appointed and destined for that task. And he has provided credible proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. Amen. And beloved, we all know that to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be the one sitting on the great white throne judgment. He has been appointed as judge by the Father because of his atoning sacrifice. And the proof that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice is three days later, he rose Jesus from the dead. That's the proof. That's the proof. That's the credible proof to everyone. God raised Jesus from the dead. That's how we know he will be the judge on Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to be buying any excuses. Beloved, this is so not condemnation. This is for me too. Me too. All of us will give an account to Jesus. On Judgment Day, may we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, to receive rewards, our full 
rewards as having lived obedient, faithful servants, enduring to the end, remaining faithful to Jesus even to death. Mm-hmm. Romans one eighteen. This is about God's wrath. If I were you, if I were you, I would study Romans 1. All of Romans 1. But we're going to be looking at verse 18. Okay. For God does not overlook sin. I could put a period right here. And this will be the last time I even come to the mic. Because this this says everything. It says it all. He does not overlook sin. No, he does not. Do I dare say he would not be blinded by his grace? Because those who keep playing with grace keep using it as a smokescreen to keep up with their decadence and filth. It's not going to work, beloved. Mm-mm. Not on the other side. I don't know what we thinking that we that we are getting away with anything. The Bible just tell the Bible is just telling us God does not overlook sin and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness suppress and stifle the truth. Amen. Mhm. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say is, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. What else needs to be said after that? So if we come down to verses 22 to 32, yes, beloved, I know. Hang in there. Hang in there. I was thinking about doing a part two for what? I still got to keep speaking. I got to keep on talking. So let let this just be a combination of parts one and two. Romans 1, 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory and majesty and excellence of the immortal God for an image, a worthless idol. In the shape of mortal men and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles, therefore, God gave them over in the lust. Oh, boy. Here we go again. Sowing to the flesh. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their own hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies 
would be dishonored among them, abandoning them to the degrading power of sin. Oh, beloved, we do not want to ever get to the point that God turns us over to the power of sin because we refuse to stop it. Let's read it. He gave them over in the lust of their own hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, abandoning them to the degrading power of sin because by choice they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served, oh, Holy Spirit, served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading and vile passions. For their women, even the women, exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, a function contrary to nature. And in the same way, also the men turned away from the natural. Natural. I don't care what this world pushes. It's unnatural for the same sex to lie with one another. It is an abomination. Homosexuality, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgender, you name it. It is sin. It is a stench in the nostrils of God. And if you don't stop it, he's going to turn you over to your vile affections. What it says here? Mm-hmm. We'll be at Romans 1, 27. And in the same way, also the men turned away from the natural function of the woman and were consumed with their desire toward one another. Men with men committing shameful acts and in return receiving in their own bodies the inevitable and appropriate penalty for their wrongdoing. It's wrong, beloved, all the way wrong. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or consider him worth knowing, oh, beloved, this is tragic. Or consider him worth knowing as their creator. Well, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, a depraved mind, beloved, to do things which are improper, improper and repulsive. Mm-mm-mm. We should be able to love who we want to love. Ugh, beloved. 
this this same repulsiveness goes for the murderer and the liar and the adulterer and the fornicator. It goes for all wicked lifestyles. But listen, so God God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do things which are improper and repulsive until they were filled, permeated, saturated with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and mean-spiritedness. They are gossips, spreading rumors, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, can't forget boastful, inventors of new forms of evil, disobedient and disrespectful to parents. Beloved, this is all what you can expect when God turns you over to your madness. Disrespectful to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, without pity. Listen, verse 32, Romans 1. Although, although they know God's righteous decree, decree and his judgment that those who do such things deserve death, yet they not only do them, but they even enthusiastically approve and tolerate others who practice them. Oh, love it. That was hard. That was hard because those behaving like this and others' lifestyles we just finished reading about, can't you see why the message of repentance and the preaching of the gospel must go forth? There is much wickedness in the world. Who's going to preach to these ungodly ones? They are in eternal danger. Their souls are on the line, ready to be thrown into hell's fire if we don't stop catering and pandering to the madness calling ourselves children of God but then we are a bunch of scaredy cats we don't want to be quote-unquote canceled so we say nothing I ain't doing it nope I don't care I'm gonna go with knees knocking and say what the Lord wants them to know I'm going to do it. Yes, I am. And let the chips fall where they may. What else we got here? Romans 2. Romans 2. 11 to 15. Now, we just finished reading, right? Romans 1. That was the last verse. Just so we as children, children of God... Don't get this twisted. 
Paul is bringing clarity about this whole situation. Therefore, you have no excuse or justification. Every one of you who hypocritically judges and condemns other others for in passing judgment on another person, you condemn yourself. Why? Because you who judge from a, a position of arrogance or self-righteousness are habitually practicing the very same things which you denounce. Oh, beloved, don't this remind you of what Christ has said about us judging? You got to first get the plank out of your eye before you even think about going for your brother's speck. The Lord Jesus Christ would not have me up on this platform if he didn't see fit for me as his handmaiden to warn the brethren. I first had to get the plank out of my eye. I will not sit up here being a hypocrite. I will not sit up here passing judgment if I myself is living in willful, habitual, blatant, deliberate sin. Some of us actually love Jesus enough to obey his command, his commandments. So, this here is sobering because I know a lot of the brethren, they think they just got it going on, telling you what you shouldn't be doing, what you should do. Meanwhile, they are living in adulterous remarriages on the low. They're still smoking their weed. They refuse to give up false doctrines. They honor Jesus with their mouths, but their hearts are far from him. So Paul is ringing us, no, reining us in. You condemn yourself because you who judge from a position of arrogance, that's the difference, beloved. When we judge, it's coming from a position of love because we understand that if we deliberately go on sinning, our only, only expectation is fiery judgment. It won't be the kingdom. Nope, it will not. So we are not coming from a position of arrogance or self-righteousness because he was saying in verse 2, and we know that the judgment of God falls justly and, what it says, in accordance with truth on those who practice such things. 
But do you think, but, verse 3, but do you think this, O man, when you judge and condemn those who practice such things and yet do the same yourself, that you will escape God's judgment and elude his verdict? Or do you have no regard for the wealth of his kindness and tolerance and patience in withholding his wrath? Are you actually unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness leads you to repentance? But because of your callous stubbornness and unrepented heart, you are deliberately storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, Romans 2, right? That's where we at? Yeah, Romans 2, verse 6. Listen, he will pay back to each person according to his deeds, justly as his deeds deserve to those who by persistence in doing good seek unseen but certain heavenly glory, honor, and immortality, he will give the gift of eternal life. But for those who are selfishly ambitious and self-seeking and disobedient to the truth, but responsive to wickedness, there will be wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and anguish, torturing confinement for every human soul who does or permits evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But honor, no, but glory and honor and inner peace will be given to everyone who habitually does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality no arbitrary favoritism. With him, one person is not more important than another. Amen. Glory be to God. So, all of us can get it. If we think for one minute that God loves us Gentiles so much that we can just trample over his grace and and use it as a cover-up, some kind of green light authorization that we can live like a hellion and still inherit his kingdom? Hmm. Okay. It ain't happening, beloved. Not on any day of the week. Okay. Where are we at? We still in Romans. We are almost right in the middle of the New Testament. Beloved, I don't care how late it gets. I don't care how tired I get. 
Holy Spirit will strengthen us to keep chugging along here. We got to get these scriptures in us. Pause, take a break, and come on back. Romans 3. Because see, Romans 3 is all about all the world is guilty. The Bible says in Romans 3, the whole world is guilty of what? Sin. Rejecting Jesus. Verse 10, okay? Because some people think they are good as golden. Okay. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I don't need to be saved. I'm a good person. Well, Romans 3.10. There is none righteous. None. None righteous. None that meets God's standard. Not even one. Yeah. Not even one. There, oh, Holy Spirit, thank you. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All, and all means all, have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open grave. They habitually deceive with their tongues. The venom of asp is beneath their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And they have not known the path of peace. Verse 18, there is no fear of God and his awesome power before their eyes. Amen. That's the problem. That's the problem. There's no fear of God amongst the people. That's why <clears throat> when, you, when you sit up under false doctrine, namely prosperity, where it's taught that only thing God wants you to be is happy, healthy, wealthy, and encouraged. Mm. He wants us to repent and live clean and holy. And if blessings comes our way, that's because he smiles on his children. The blessing of God comes with no sorrow. Just like you would and have rewarded your children for good behavior. Well, how much more so won't the father bless his obedient children? Listen, contentment is far greater and if the Lord sees fit to bless us with money, anything material, will glory be to his name. We don't make any good thing that he has blessed us with as an idol. No. 
verse 23. Since all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God, Paul is letting the church at Rome and us just so we don't get up on some high self-righteous high horse. He's 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 bringing us back down to reality. Getting our heads out of the stratosphere and letting us know without Christ Jesus we all fall sh- we all fall short of the glory of God. None is righteous, not even one person outside of Christ Jesus cuz only in Christ are we good? Are we righteous? Glory be to God. Romans 6. You all know I love my Romans 6. So verse 22. But now since you have been set free from sin and have become willing slaves to God, you have your benefit resulting in what? sanctification, being made holy and set apart for God's purpose. And the outcome of this, the outcome of what? Your sanctification, all of this gutting and digging out of the world, out of your soul and spirit and out of your head. This is all for a reason. It is for but it says eternal life. You have your benefit resulting in sanctification, being made holy and set apart for God's purpose. And the outcome of this is eternal life. That's why we going through sanctification, beloved. That's why we are being made holy. Not so that we can be pompous and pious and self-righteous. No. It's so we can receive eternal life. Oh, beloved, can't you see how you and I have been lied to? Eternal life is not given to everyone who opens up that mouth and say, Jesus is Lord. No. It is for the one that has been made holy, that has been set apart for God's purpose. The outcome of our sanctification is eternal life. We can't go from justification, jump over, hurdle over sanctification and go straight to glorification, go straight to eternal life. Do you not know the Bible says no unclean thing will ever enter heaven? Okay. Romans, where we at? Verse 23. Okay. The last verse. In Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God. That is his remarkable overwhelming gift of grace to believers. 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So, beloved, if eternal life is guaranteed to us on day one, when we said a sinner's prayer, why all of these scriptures in the New Testament we are reading and meditating on, warning us to remain out of sin, don't go back to it, don't denounce it in someone else's life, but you are still living in the filth and your vomit. Why all of this preparation for eternal life, all of this sanctification, all of this being made holy and acceptable unto God, if we have this open door policy that we get to go to heaven and enjoy the kingdom anyway, irregardless of how we live in disobedience. Only, only but Satan could come up with this doctrine of demons. And the false church ran with it. You want to know why? Because they also sold to the flesh. That's why when you are sowing to the flesh, Paul was telling Timothy that a time will come when people will not endure. They will not put up with sound doctrine. To even think about that is crazy. But yeah, we most likely are living in that time he spoke of. That people will not put up with sound doctrine. But because of the lust they are in, they will heap upon themselves these teachers who are in the same boat with them to, to tickle their ears with all of these myths and fables Mm-mm-mm. okay let's move this along here we go first corinthians i told you we going through matthew to revelation looking at these scriptures about lifestyles about the thing that will send all of us straight to a burning hell that is sowing to your flesh. And whatever form, shape it takes, whether it be fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, thievery, covetousness, greed, lying, murder, extortion, slandering, pick one. Pick one. We keep living that lifestyle, keep practicing those things. The kingdom of God is not in your future. It won't be in mine. If, if, if I return back to my vomit, it won't be in mine. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 20. Let's read it. Now and again, 
Paul is talking to the church at Corinth because, beloved, they were cutting up. Oh, he, he, he wrote them two letters. Two. I'm telling you, some people thought who is this Paul was a punk or something because his his speech wasn't as eloquent but he wasn't playing he met the Lord Jesus Christ he fully understood that if he don't check himself if he don't keep his body under subjection if he allows himself to be a slave all over again to sin, he understood that he, having preached the gospel, will become a castaway. So I got to keep asking, if Paul was concerned, why aren't you concerned? Because, Cynthia, we got eternal security. Okay, show me. Look, look, show me in the scripture where Paul says that we can continue in the works of the flesh and we will inherit the kingdom kingdom of God. Show me that and I promise you I will I will repent and shut down the podcast. Yeah, show it to me. Show me that I can continue to live as an adulteress and still inherit the kingdom. Show me. Don't 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 give me opinions. Don't eisegesis the scriptures. Don't tell me well well what Paul really meant. No. Don't give me what Jesus really meant. No. Don't give me your own personal intake. Show me like Holy Spirit is showing us scripture line upon line, precept upon precept. Show it to me. Okay, so while you trying to find that, let's come over to some sound doctrine. First Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God, Paul is asking the church at Corinth this question. Because again, they were cutting up. And he's about to highlight those lifestyles in which they were living in. Do not be deceived, he he told them. Neither the sexual immoral, because that was going on, nor idolaters, because that was going on. Nor adulterers, that was going on. Nor effeminate by perversion, obviously that was going on. Nor those who participate in homosexuality, yep, that must have been going on. He is listing these lifestyles that have obviously been brought to his attention of what they were involved in. And not only that, but they were dragging one another to court among the pagans. What's in here? Those 
who participate in homosexuality, they ain't getting in, nor thieves. Yep, a lot of that was going on too, nor the greedy, nor drunkards in the church. Yeah, nor drunkards, nor revilers whose words are used as weapons to abuse, insult, humiliate, intimidate, or slander, nor swindlers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. And such were some of you before you believed, but you were washed, glory be to God, by the atoning sacrifice of Christ, and you were sanctified, hallelujah, set apart for God and made holy. Yes, you were justified, declared free of guilt in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of our God, the source of the believer's new life and changed behavior. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Can't say it enough how much we appreciate your work. Glory to God. So, okay, look at verse 12. Paul was saying, everything is permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything and brought under its power, allowing to control me. Amen. Why? If we all have eternal security, why is Paul not allowing himself? Mind you, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, scholars say. He was like, yeah. Sure, everything is permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial because it's not. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything or brought under its power. Because you know why? Paul got the memo that if he keeps cutting up, he wasn't going to make it. So with all of this, oh, we have eternal security. Well, how come Paul is saying he's not going to allow anything to enslave him? Because if he taught once saved, always saved, we will we will be hearing nothing about his 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 him putting his flesh under him not becoming a slave to anything again, if he was assured in the face of his vomit that he still get to go to heaven. We won't be reading this scripture at all. The, the New Testament would probably be two sentences. One saved, always saved, period. You have eternal life, period. But no, it doesn't. Okay, come down to verse 18. First Corinthians 6, 18. 
run away from sexual immorality in any form, whether thought or behavior, whether visible, no, no, whether visual or written. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the one who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received as a gift? from God and that you are not your own property? Verse 20, you were brought, no, 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 you were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then, honor and glorify God with your body. Amen. Oh, I felt the spirit on that one. Glory to God. What else? Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 2, 14 to 17. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him. Amen. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ, which ascends to God. Hallelujah. Beloved, listen, don't you want to be a sweet fragrance? How Paul says up here, which ascends to God. Hmm. Or do you want to be a stench in his nostril? Think about that. Which ascends to God discernible both among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the latter one and aroma from death to death a fatal offensive odor but to the other an aroma from life to life of vital fragrance, fragrance, living and fresh, and who is adequate and sufficiently qualified for these things. Verse 17, for we are not like many, acting like merchants, peddling God's word, shortchanging and adulterating God's message, but from pure, uncompromised motives. As commissioned and sent from God, we speak his message in Christ in the sight of God. Amen. Yeah, Paul was setting the record straight. And in that we got a wealth of information. Yes. Don't be a stench in the nostril of God. A fatal, offensive odor. But be a, but be a sweet fragrance of Christ. Yeah. We, we, listen. 
among the horror and the torment of hell, in these scriptures, we are highly encouraged. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we believers will be called to account and must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be repaid for what has been done in the body, whether good or bad. That is, each we, that is, each will be held responsible for his actions, purposes, goals, motives, for the use or misuse of his time, opportunities, and abilities. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for this lesson today. That, again, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Oh, beloved. Listen. Holy Spirit is giving us clear. No. He's giving us the clear consequence, right, of what happens if we don't repent if we don't turn from evilness and wickedness all of that sinful lifestyles the lord god almighty creator of the heavens and the earth he shows us precisely we face eternal separation and destruction he he's also showing us in these scriptures the disposition lifestyles and behaviors of those again who are on the fast track straight to destruction galatians 5 mm. yep Let's get to it. Verses 16 to 26. Oh, beloved. Hold on. I got to drink me some water behind this one because this here is so clear to us. We keep living like this. Mm-hmm. We ain't going to make it. Mm-mm. Nope. We're not. So. But I say. But I say. Walk habitually. In the Holy Spirit. Seek him. And be responsive. To his guidance. And then you will certainly. Not carry out. The desire. Of the sinful nature which responds impulsively without regard for God and his precepts. Beloved, that's the flesh, the sinful nature. We are being commanded not to walk in the flesh, but to walk habitually in the Holy Spirit, seeking him and being responsive 
to his guidance. And Paul is saying when we do that, we will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the sinful nature has its desire, which is opposed to the spirit. See, that's what's happening. And the desire of the spirit opposes the sinful nature. For these two, the sinful nature and the spirit, are in direct opposition to each other, continually in conflict, so that you as believers do not always do whatever good things you want to do, but... But, verse 18, where we at? Galatians 5. But if you are guided and led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now, the practices of the sinful nature, here we go. The 17 works of the flesh are clearly evident. They are Sexual immorality, a.k.a. fornication, impurity, sensuality, which is what? Lasciviousness, total irresponsibility, lack of self-control, idolatry, sorcery. Yes, that includes drugs, drug use, drug selling, anything that manipulates your mind, altering your uh, faculties, a.k.a. getting high as a kike, beloved. That's a witchcraft. Hostility, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions that promote heresies, envy, drunkenness, riotous behavior, and other things like these. I warn you beforehand, just as I did previously, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit, the result of His presence, Within us is love, unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience, not the ability to wait, but how we act while waiting, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, beloved, if Holy Spirit is living truly on the inside of you, the result of his presence within us, these fruits, these fruits will manifest themselves if Holy Spirit is truly in you. What says here? Against such things, but faith, no goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified 
the sinful nature, the flesh man, beloved, together with its passions and appetites. Listen, if we claim, verse 25, if we claim to live by the Holy Spirit, well, we must also walk by the Spirit with personal integrity, godly character, and moral courage, our conduct empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we must not become conceited, challenging, or provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. Yeah. The works of the flesh. Ephesians 5. Oh, beloved. Ephesians 5 verses 1 to 21 is all about being imitators of God, right? I'm going to skip through this. Listen, sexual immorality. I'm looking at verse 3. When I says Ephesians 5, right? Look at all what if we are indulging in how we face God's wrath. Again, beloved, we are so going through these scriptures so that we can be absolutely crystal clear about lifestyles that are in direct opposition to God's holy standards. And that if we are living in these ways, when we drop the bodysuit, we will all be thrown into the lake of fire verse 3 but sexual immorality and all moral no 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 yeah and all moral impurity and decent offensive behavior or greed must not even be hinted at among you as is proper among saints for as believers our way of life whether in public or or in private, reflects the validity of our faith. Let there be no filthiness. Let there be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse, obscene, or, or vulgar joking, because such things are not appropriate for believers, but instead speak of your thankfulness to God. Verse 5, for be sure of this, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, for that one is in effect an idolator, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. For such a person places a higher value on something other than God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments that encourage you to sin. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, those who habitually sin so do not participate or even associate with them in the rebelliousness of sin 
for once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Live as those who are native born to the light. Capital L, beloved. Capital L. For the fruit, the effect, the result of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Beloved in Christ, there's nothing but goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's it. If you are in Christ, well, that should be in you too. For if not, you got a problem. Claiming his name, Lord, Lord. But then when the when the owner of the house stands up and goes to the door and, and shuts the door, those on the outside banging, open up, open up. For what? I don't know you. I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You have disregarded, paid no attention to my commands. No. Mm-mm. People, yes, Holy Spirit, people on the other side of that door, they did what Christ told them to do. Strive to enter through the narrow door. It's straight. The way is straight and narrow that leads to eternal life. You want eternal life? Well, you better be on that straight and narrow road. Oh, yes, all of us. What we got here? Verse 11. Nope, verse 10. Trying to learn by experience. What is pleasing to the Lord? Yes, Kapoor was telling us what not to do and what to do. Trying to learn by experience what is pleasing to the Lord and letting your lifestyles be examples of what is most acceptable to him. Your behavior expressing gratitude to God for your salvation. And do not participate in the worthless and unproductive deeds of darkness, but instead expose them by exemplifying personal integrity, moral courage, and godly character. Mm -hmm. Verse 12, for it is disgraceful even to mention the things that such people practice in secret oh beloved all things become visible when they are exposed by the light of God's precepts oh, boy. Mm -mm -mm. y'all take it down to verse 21 
That's the end of it. Because, ooh, 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 verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is wickedness, corruption, and stupidity. But be filled with the Holy Spirit and constantly guided by him. Yeah, amen. Well, we got here. Philippians. I told y'all, this is a very, very, very long podcast. I don't know. It could, right now, we are looking at two hours, three hours, almost three hours. I'm not stopping, beloved. I'm not. I'm not going to stop. Let's get it. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility, being neither arrogant or self-righteous, regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Amen. Beloved, Paul is telling us we can't be selfish. We can't be selfish, only looking out for what we want. But put that energy toward helping others. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Don't help the poor. Don't feed the homeless if the only reason why you are doing this because you know is around the pagan holidays and the uh, news crews are going to be out and about looking for good Samaritans to have a wonderful feel-good story at the end of the 5 o'clock news. And you make sure you go right down to your local shelter where you know every year the news crews are going to be at, and then you get your photo op. No, beloved. Just so you can have your name in the papers so that so that you can pad that to your uh, resume. No. We can't do anything from selfishness or empty conceit. Wrong motives. Can't do it. Verse 14, Philippians 2, do everything without murmuring or questioning the providence of God so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated children of God without blemish in the midst of a morally crooked and spiritually perverted generation among whom you are seen as bright lights beacons shining out clearly in the world of darkness amen hallelujah hallelujah glory be to god philippians 3 17 to 21 beloved come on let's do it 
Brothers and sisters, together follow my example and observe those who live by the pattern we gave you. For there are many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, rejecting and opposing his way of salvation, whose faith is destruction, whose God is their belly, their worldly appetite, their sensuality, their vanity, and whose glory is in their shame who focus their mind on earthly and temporal things. But we are different because our, citizen, our citizenship is in heaven. And from there, we eagerly await the coming of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by exerting that power, which enables him even to subject everything to himself will not only transform but completely refashion our earthly bodies so that we will be like his glorious resurrected body amen see beloved see what all we got to look forward to that's why we put away all sin we put on the new self according to Colossians 3 verses 1 through 10. Listen, in verse 2, set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth which have only temporal value for you died to this world and your new life your new real life is hidden with christ in god when christ who is our life appears then you will also then you also will appear with him in glory so put to death and deprive of power the evil longings of your earthly body with its sensual self-centered instincts, immorality, impurity, sinful passion. Paul is telling us, put it all away, beloved. Don't, don't indulge in that thing. What thing? Sowing to the flesh. He's telling us, put to death and deprive of power, sinful passion, evil desire, and greed. That's idolatry because it replaces your devotion to God. Anything like that, put it away. Because of these sinful things, the divine wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Those who fail to listen and who routinely and obstinately disregard God's precepts, his teachings, they ain't listening to it. 
And in these sinful things, you also once walked when you were habitually living in them without the knowledge of Christ, but now rid yourselves completely of all these things. Here we go. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene, abusive, filthy, vulgar language from your mouth. And do not lie to one another. For you have stripped off the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new spiritual self who is being continually renewed in true knowledge in the image of him who created the new self. Amen. Oh, beloved, isn't this great? This is great. Here we go. We're moving along through the New Testament. I'm giving us, Holy Spirit is giving us these wonderful scriptures highlighting that if we continue to practice these things, behaving like Christ didn't just die that horrific, bloody, brutal, violent death on our behalf, placating God's wrath in our steed and we continue to live these wicked lifestyles I keep saying it we ain't gonna make it it's not coming out good nowhere so far we have read that if we do continue living like a hellion we will anyway inherit God's kingdom I'm still waiting for that person to uh, text me a scripture that says just that. That we can still live in open, blatant sin and still, without repentance, without confessing sin, we still get to uh, make it into the kingdom. I'm still waiting. Okay. So in the meantime... Where are we at? First Thessalonians 2.11 For you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you just as a father does in dealing with his own children, guiding you to live lives of honor, moral courage, and personal integrity worthy worthy, worthy of the God who saves you and calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Amen. Yeah, I wanted to put that one in there just so we can see what kind of lives we ought to be living. Lives of honor. Lives of moral courage we ain't we ain't coming off the teaching on living clean and holy we ain't we ain't selling out 
and personal integrity. That's how we that's how we live worthy of God who saves us and calls us his own no and calls us into his own kingdom and glory. We come down to verse 14 for you brothers and sisters became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea because you too suffered the same kind of persecution from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and harassed and drove us out and they continue to be highly displeasing to God and to show themselves hostile to all people forbidding us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. So as always, they fill up to the brim the measure of their sins allocated to them by God, but God's wrath has come upon them at last, completely and forever. Amen. See, beloved, we are being constantly exhorted to live clean and honorable lives, worthy of God. Because as we are seeing from these scriptures, to do otherwise, we will all perish. We will all perish. Second Thessalonians 1 9, Paul wrote that those who disobey the gospel, those who say no to the gospel, will be punished with everlasting destruction and be shut out from the presence of the Lord. Yes, they will. Let's move on to the next book. First Timothy chapter three. You want to know what I love? No, what I'm loving about first Timothy chapter three is that Paul is giving instructions on how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. So listen up all you so-called bishops who are nothing more than overseers. You're not God. So stop boasting with all of this pseudo-authority, with all of your long-flowing robes. Stop boasting about the power you believe you yield. You can't be a drunkard. You can't be a fornicating adulterer. So let's listen to what Paul says is the criteria for any bishop. Again, who is just an overseer. Some, some of these bishops today, they need to have several seats. You would think that they are God on the earth with all of their pomp and circumstance. They're putting on a show. Uh, listen, First Timothy 3, starting in verse 1. This is a faithful and trustworthy saying. If any man eagerly seeks the office of overseer, a.k.a. bishop, a superintendent, he desires an excellent task. Amen. 
to Paul is saying to be a bishop is an excellent task. Now, an overseer must be blameless. Well, beloved, that like cancels out probably 99.9 of the bishops we see roaming around today. Mm-hmm. Must be blameless and 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 beyond reproach. The husband of one wife. Self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, if I say that right, able to teach, not addicted to wine, not a bully. Oh boy, yeah, um, that may be 100% of the bishops we see roaming around today, bunch of bullies, not a bully nor quick-tempered and hot-headed, but gentle and considerate, free from the love of money. Oh, boy. I don't think we have any more bishops left after this. And the list just started. And about 10 out of 10 bishops have been disqualified. Listen. Free. From the love of money, not greedy for wealth and its inherent power, financially ethical. He must manage his own household. He must, yeah, he must manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity keeping them respectful and well-behaved. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how how will he take care of the church of God? And he must not be a new convert, so that he will not behave stupidly and become conceited, by appointment to this high office and fall into the same condemnation incurred by the devil for his arrogance and pride. Oh, beloved, I'm telling you, that's why Paul was telling Timothy, do not put a novice in a position of leadership. You want to know why? Pride. They will, they will easily fall into pride. And Paul just reminded us what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride, arrogance. And he must, verse 7, and he must have a good reputation and be well thought of by those outside the church so that he will not be discredited and fall into the devil's trap oh beloved please take it down to verse 15 for me i got to move on where we at first timothy 5 24 the sins of some people are conspicuous conspicuous 
meaning it's right out there on Front Street. It's out in the open. They ain't trying to hide it, right? Leading the way for them into judgment so that they are clearly not qualified for ministry. Yeah. Paul is like, some people's sins are right out in your face. These are homosexuals claiming to be the bishop. These are adulterers in second and third and fourth remarriages claiming to be the bishop. These are drunkards. Can't even get through a sermon without dipping off into the back to take a nip. These are the bishops claiming to be the bishop. He's saying, um, leading the way for them into judgment so that they are clearly not qualified for ministry, but the sins of others appear later for they are hidden and follow behind them. It's a mess. It's a mess. What else we got here? Let's move on. Second Timothy chapter two, verses 21 to 26. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things which are dishonorable, disobedient, sinful, he will be a vessel for honor. See, beloved, see what the benefit is when we cleanse ourselves from things that are dishonorable, disobedient, and sinful because for then we will be vessels of honor sanctified set apart for a special purpose my hand is raised i'm a witness for jesus christ this is true it's true set apart for a special purpose and useful to the master prepared for every good work Run away from youthful lust. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those believers who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Amen. You know what that reminds me of? 2 Timothy 2, 19. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord, depart from iniquity. Amen. Run away from useful lust. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those believers who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart, but have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant speculations, useless disputes over unedifying, stupid controversies. <laughs> oh, beloved. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. Let's move on. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. No, no, 
just just gave y'all that. Titus. We are almost there, beloved. Almost there. Hang in there. Titus 1, 15 to 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But, no, both their mind and their conscience are corrupted. They profess to know God, to recognize and be acquainted with him, but by their actions, they deny and disown him. They are detestable and disobedient and worthless for good work of any kind. Oh, beloved, may this not be counted among you. We must be pure, putting away anything that is corruptible. Our minds and consciences cannot be corrupted. We can't be hypocritical liars claiming, professing to know God, to to be acquainted with him, but by our actions, we deny and disown him. Oh, God forbid, beloved. God forbid. May this not be so in your life, claiming that you know God, but by your actions, you deny and disown him. And you do that by staying in these homosexual, triangular, lesbian affairs and the like. Continuing to be a lying thief. Continuing to be idolatrous. You you don't know God because trust and believe if you knew the true and living God, you will walk in the fear of the Lord. Amen. Titus 3, 3 to 7. For we too, you know what? I love it how the New Testament keeps us in check. So that we don't fall into self-righteousness. It reminds us. Excuse me. It reminds us constantly. So that we don't get our heads all puffed up. For we too once were foolish. Disobedient. Deceived. Enslaved to various sinful desires and pleasures, spending and wasting our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when, hallelujah, the goodness and kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared in human form as the man, Jesus Christ, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of his 
own compassion and mercy by the cleansing of the new birth, spiritual transformation, regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that we would be justified, made free of the guilt of sin by his compassionate, undeserved grace, and that we would be acknowledged as acceptable to him, made heirs of eternal life, actually experiencing it according to our hope his guaranteed. Amen. Oh, beloved. I looked over the book of Philemon. 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 And um, I didn't see anything about not inherit, inheriting the kingdom of God. But that's a good book about forgiveness and restoration. It's, it's, truly, it's truly a good book. Hebrews 10, 24 to 31. Let's get to it. Okay. And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. And to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction. And I know, beloved, your bishop pointed you over here through his bullying tactic that you must come to his church because it's not Christ. He's right. It's his to make sure you come every week to bring that tithe and offering. Because if you don't come, then you are robbing God and you are cursed with a curse. I know you heard it. This here is their pet doctrine for church membership. Don't you fall for it. Because the writers of Hebrews is telling us why we must not forsake encouraging one another. Spurning us on to love and um, to good deeds. And that we shouldn't forsake meeting with one another. You want to know why we shouldn't forsake meeting with one another? And it doesn't necessarily have to take place in somebody's apostate church. Right now, what we are doing is fellowshipping. And there's a purpose for, for this fellowshipping. And the writers is about to tell us why we shouldn't stop this fellowshipping. You want to know why we shouldn't stop? Not because God is going to curse us with a curse. No, it is because what it says here, 
because we see the day of Christ's return approaching. So in love, we do what we are doing tonight or today or this afternoon, whatever, whenever you are tuning in. We are doing this expressly for one reason, to keep us sober-minded that Christ Jesus is on his way back. So in love, we may need to rebuke. In love, we may need to say that's that way of living. It doesn't please God. What you are putting into your body doesn't please God. You are actually walking in idolatry. You are walking in homosexuality. You you are walking in covetousness. You got murder in your heart. You got lust in your heart. So, we fellowship because we know, we see the day of Christ's return approaching. Because there's a reason for this fellowshipping is to keep each other accountable because verse 26 sheds the light on any deception or misconception we have about the day when Christ returns. For if we go on willfully and deliberately sinning. Beloved, I love this. I love how we we get clarification and understanding about fellowshipping and why it is so important so that we can pull on one another's coattail to say, if we believers followers of Jesus go on willfully and deliberately sinning after, after, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice to atone for our sins. No, Christ already came and left and he's coming back, beloved. There's no, there remains there no longer remains a sacrifice to atone for our sins. That is no further offering to anticipate, but a kind of awful and terrifying expectation of divine judgment and the fury of a fire and burning wrath which will consume the adversaries, those who put themselves in opposition to God. Amen. Amen. Point blank into the period. Listen, come down to verse 29, Hebrews 10. How much greater punishment do you think he will deserve? Who has rejected and trampled underfoot the Son of God, and has considered unclean and common the blood of the covenant that sanctified him. See, this is one who had Holy Spirit. Okay? It's not a false convert. 
is not a sinner, man. No, it's one who has been sanctified. Only a born-again person can be sanctified. But guess what? This person chose to deliberately, in the face of God, to go on habitually, deliberately sinning. Well, this is here. Mm-hmm. Trampled underfoot the Son of God and has considered unclean and common the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and has insulted the Spirit of grace who imparts the unmerited favor, unmerited favor and blessing of God. That's a question. How much greater punishment do you think he deserves? Who tramples underfoot the Son of God, making his blood sacrifice unclean and common? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, retribution and the deliverance of justice rest with me. I will repay the wrongdoer. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Yes, he will. It is a a fearful and terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, incurring his judgment and wrath. Amen. Oh, beloved, we we cannot be deceived. How much more we got? Oh, beloved. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give you these scriptures. I'm not going to read them. I'm tapped. I can honestly say I'm tapped. So I pray, I pray that you had already had your pens and your paper out. So listen. Okay. Study. Study, beloved. James 1, 14 to 15. Study 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Study 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25. Study 2 Peter 2, 1 through 10. Study 1 John 3, 10. Study 1 John 3, 24. Study 2 John 1, 7 to 10. Study 3 John 1, verse 11. Study Jude 1, 5 to 13. Study Revelation 20, verse 10 to 15. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the salvation that is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit, 
and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage, true freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, continually seek, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thank you, Father, for being our Heavenly Father. Thank you that we are justified by faith. Hallowed be thy holy, righteous, good name. I pray for the strength and wisdom for your children to walk in your ways and to share your message of hope with others. I ask for your protection from the snares of the enemy and the temptations that lead to destruction. Help us, Lord, to live in a manner that reflects your love and light so that we may one day dwell with you in eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Glory be to God. Thank you, my Lord and Savior. Thank you. Bless your holy name. All right, beloved. I'm tapped. It is going on midnight, my time, Texas Central Time. Oh, beloved, repent and believe. Stop sinning and turn back to God. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 33 to 34. And Lord willing, beloved, until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Praise the living God. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.